everyone. Welcome to Risk Roundup. The blockchain revolution is here. Since blockchain redefines a new digital roadway, we need to evaluate not only how we provide the necessarily technical tools or resources for building common goals, but how we work to cultivate the necessary connectivity, collaborations, and cooperation that might accompany this shift towards common collective goals. But more importantly, how we provide education and awareness of blockchain fundamentals. Justifiably, understanding blockchain revolution is very crucial. So please join me in welcoming Rajesh Tudu to this roundup. Rajesh is an author of the book, Blockchain A to Z Explained. He is an alumni of Columbia Business School and has been recognized as one of the global blockchain thought leaders by Forbes and many other organizations, including World Economic Forum. Rajesh has also spearheaded implementation of several blockchain platforms and solutions globally for multinational and transnational companies. He leads blockchain and cybersecurity practice for IT company, I believe, Tech Mahindra. He's based in India. Welcome, Rajesh, Risk Group community, and I look forward to hearing your presentation on the blockchain. Thank you. Thank you, Jayshree. Thanks for the kind introduction. Yes, I'm with uh, Tech Mahindra, which is one of the largest uh, IT conglomerate and IT company based out of India, but operational in about uh, 90 countries. Yes. Uh, coming to the book, uh, the book is called as uh, Blockchain A to Z uh, Explained. Uh, you know, it basically says become a blockchain pro by understanding about 400 terms. I got this idea when I was working in uh, blockchain for several years. Uh, I've been in blockchain for the last uh, at least eight to nine years. Uh, if, you know, uh, that's I ventured into uh, blockchain primarily through cryptocurrency in the early days. And whenever I used to uh, read about blockchain articles, uh, whether they are white papers or articles published by different uh, authors, I used to come across various terms. For example, in the cryptocurrency world, people used to talk in early days about ICO. And whenever uh, you uh, get together in a community, a uh, community of uh, crypto enthusiasts or community of uh, crypto startup founders or blockchain founders, they used to say, hey, I think I should do ICO very soon. And I used to wonder what is this ICO all about? And so it uh, like that I had come across uh, several terminologies. Uh, which kind of, you know, if you know the terminologies, you will be able to follow the conversation. But if you don't know the terminology, it is finally up to you whether you are interested in uh, Googling up for that particular term, or if it is not on Google, then you have to go and ask somebody else who is proficient with that particular term. So I said, why don't I uh, put together a book which basically explains every jargon from alphabet A to alphabet Z. So when, when I started working on this particular uh, initiative, I went online and I saw there are various uh, avenues, there are various resources online which provide uh, this particular information. And when I went and saw, at best you would get probably you know 50 terms or 60 terms or 70 terms but those 70 terms are not 
the only 70 terms that are there in the blockchain world. So then we started this particular process of uh, collating each and every term and we put together uh, a good number, a number, you know, 400 uh, such terms together, uh, which we have explained in a very, very simple language to the users. So this book is primarily aimed at uh, people who are either students, who are either beginners, who are coders, or who are uh, learners of blockchain and who want to know everything that pertains to blockchain, both in the enterprise blockchain space and also in the public blockchain space. For example, you know, uh, you would come across something like uh, synchronizing the chain. You would come across something like, you know, you have to set up side chains to make a blockchain transaction faster. And when you set up side chains, are they going to be the orphan chains? Are they going to be non-orphan chains? So these uh, jargon and these very difficult uh, terms, which one would have never understood, kind of limits the learning process, kind of limits uh, the ability of people to assimilate technology, to not only assimilate technology, but also the functionality aspects of that technology. So our, our endeavor has been to put together all of these terms uh, and explain in a very, very simple and lucid manner. That's wonderful, wonderful. So when you uh, think about the book as you were writing, uh, you gave a reason why you wrote that. So, you know, the crypto community and, you know, everyone who is trying to get into this field, they have a better understanding and they know the language. They understand it. You know what somebody is talking about, like the example you gave about ICO. But when you are, when we talk about the community of the blockchain or crypto, as we see, you know, in India, because you're based in India, and I'm sure you're working all over the world, you know, on different projects. But for right. India, but for India, how big is this community, and how vibrant oh. it is? Yeah, absolutely. India, the community is very, very big and vibrant. In fact, there was a recent article about uh, cryptocurrencies in India, and it is estimated that about uh, 100 million people uh, invest in crypto, not 100 million. It is 10 crores. So let me do the uh, translation for you for your international audience. 10 crores is uh, 10 to the power of 8. So it's about uh, about 100 million uh, people who are already investing uh, in uh, cryptocurrencies in uh, in India and uh, Indian market has always been vibrant uh, primarily because as you know there are a lot of uh, investors there are a lot of retail investors and more than that there are a lot of traders and trading comes naturally to many many communities in India you take uh, the trading community in Gujarat you take the trading community in Maharashtra you take the trading community in Andhra Pradesh, these are the people who are always looking for opportunities to make uh, extra money by virtue of arbitrage. And today the crypto world offers you a lot of arbitrage opportunities as a result of which you have a very vibrant investor community in India. And uh, to corroborate this particular fact, just look at the number of uh, cryptocurrency exchanges that have sprung up recently in India. Uh, 
in early days, at least two to three years before uh, the famous uh, Supreme Court, uh, sorry, famous RBI ban that uh, that came, the Reserve Bank of India ban that came into existence, and then which kind of Supreme Court uh, struck down that particular uh, ban. We had about uh, hardly three or four exchanges, you know, exchanges like Zepay, exchanges like Unicoin. Today you have many, many exchanges. In fact, uh, we have an exchange called Vazirex in India, which has been acquired by Binance. And there are many other exchanges that have uh, sprung up. So the community is very vibrant in India, Jayshree. That's amazing. So what are the what is the nature of the initiative that you see, especially when we talk about the blockchain transformation happening in India? Because you talked about the exchanges, you know, popping up. That is really good. But is it all investing trading community that you are witnessing or is it, uh, you know, creation of cryptocurrency and, you know, creation of uh, initiatives on blockchain to transform the industries, to transform, uh, for example, in Surat, you know, we have a diamond industry in Surat, right? So uh, yeah. are they using this uh, initiative? Um, uh, is there any initiative that can transform the, you know, diamond industry or how is government using it? What are your observations? Okay. Yeah, so there are uh, all-round activities that are happening, uh, Jayashree. Uh, so one is in terms of uh, the public blockchain space. That's where uh, the crypto uh, currency and the coin exchanges are very, very active in the public uh, blockchain space. Then the other one is the enterprise blockchain, where uh, the enterprises are using blockchain, whether to provide uh, good customer experience, uh, whether to reduce the cost of operations, or introduce new revenue streams, people are uh, leveraging uh, blockchain to a greater extent. Even the government bodies are uh, leveraging blockchain. For example, if you look at uh, the National Payments Corporation of India, uh, NPCI is uh, the national payment network like a uh, China Union Pay in China or MasterCard or Visa or American Express kind of payment networks. They are utilizing blockchain primarily to reduce the reconciliations and also to reduce the settlement time because it's a national payment processor and it's a payment processor that has spinated payments tax like unified payment interface. Uh, which facilitates uh, mobile payments, which facilitates, uh, you know, interbank transfers, which facilitates instantaneous credit of money between two people belonging to two different banks. Uh, and the amount of volumes that they are uh, uh, witnessing are humongous. In, in such search of volumes, they have realized their backend processes are not optimal, as mm -hmm. a result of which their settlement times are uh, going higher than five minutes. So they have developed a blockchain uh, using uh, enterprise blockchain. They've developed internal blockchain to reduce those particular settlement times. This is just one example. Now coming to the investors, uh, you know, there are two sets of investors. One is in terms of the investors who are investing in uh, cryptocurrency kind of startups. And there are another set of investors, especially in the high net worth individual category, the HNI category. And I was looking at a report where the HNI category were investing more in the enterprise blockchain startups. So there are startups in India which are working, for example, how can you use blockchain to bring in vaccine tracking, vaccine 
uh, you know, visibility or provenance of uh, the medical goods, provenance of vaccines. So those are the startups and there are HNIs who want to invest in that particular startup. There are startups who are working in supply chain provenance, supply chain tracking. So uh, there are startups who are working in agri-tech area using blockchain and HNIs want to invest in those set of startups. Coming to the question, whether it is only the community in India which is interested in investing or the community which is also interested in creating cryptocurrencies or creating blockchain applications, right? Look at uh, Polygon Matic. Polygon Matic is a network that has been made by, uh, you know, the engineering students who are Indians. And today Polygon uh, uh, and the Matic network features in uh, the top 20 most valuable cryptocurrencies in the world. If you go to coins market cap and uh, look up for uh, Polygon, their uh, market capitalization is in excess of about seven to eight billion dollars already. Impressive, very impressive. So uh, about we'll come to cryptocurrency, but up, uh, the blockchains that you talked about, which is used for, you know, many different initiatives uh, by enterprises and, you know, simplifying processes and all, which is the underlying blockchain they're using? I'm sure this is a combination of both public as well as private blockchain for the, you know, many different initiatives, but which is the major, you know, uh, underlying platform? <laughs> Sorry, excuse me. Uh, so the blockchain that they're uh, using primarily, uh, you know, it uh, varies from an application to application. Uh, by far, uh, the most favored one is uh, Hyperledger Fabric. Um, you know, even the telcos in India, which have implemented uh, a blockchain network to insulate people from spam calls and spam text. It is by far the largest implementation of blockchain using a multi-cloud environment. All the telcos in India have implemented that particular blockchain network as mandated by the Telecom Regulatory Authority of India, which is equivalent to FCC in the United States. They have used uh, Hyperledger Fabric. Of course, different telcos have uh, set it up on different cloud environments. Someone went with AWS, someone went with Microsoft Azure, someone went with IBM Cloud, but all of them have used the same protocol, which is Hyperledger Fabric. Now coming to the applications in the financial services space, especially when it comes to using uh, blockchain for uh, trade finance, uh, companies have finalized Kota. Uh, if it, it pertains to using uh, blockchain for international money remittance, uh, then companies have used either Hyperledger Fabric or Kota. But if you're talking about transformation of digital assets, uh, especially in terms of trading in uh, digital assets, uh, for instance, stocks. Uh, the exchanges are looking at uh, DAML as a protocol, which stands for Digital Assets Modeling Language as a protocol. So the uh, the uh, the what I'm trying to say, it all depends on the use case, and there are we have also come across some uh, you know niche. Uh, protocols which are uh, which have been written using uh, Haskell as a development language. Uh, but if I have to give you a breakup, I would say 70% is with Hyperledger Fabric. Uh, probably, uh, to, uh, you know, 15% is with Carta. Uh, probably 5% is with Daml, and the balance uh, from the 100% is with uh, other protocols, other niche protocols.
Wonderful. So, uh, I mean, creating all these, you know, blockchains for different initiatives is one thing, but uh, having it successfully adopt that use of the technology by, you know, users in, in within and across India for that particular initiative is a whole different ball game. How is the adoption going on? Yeah, that's a good question. So we see adoption again when we are talking about adoption. We always have to look at adoption from two lenses. One is in terms of the public blockchain and the other one is from a private and enterprise blockchain. So public blockchain where you're talking about consortiums, you know, we want to do a consortium for the retail industry where you want to track every piece of uh, product which is sold in the you know grocery industry or in the retail industry which means you have to onboard all the brands you have to onboard all the suppliers you have to onboard all the consumers so that is going to be a gigantic initiative and yes. and it requires everybody to come on board and it is like uh, you know there we see sometimes what we call as an empty room problem the empty room problem is primarily because, uh, for example, if the, let's say if there is a brand A of retailer, they don't want to be on the same network that brand B of the retailer is also on the network because they are they see they perceive them as competitors. So it sometimes it becomes difficult to onboard all of them. So public blockchains, we have seen a very little adoption until and unless it is backed up by regulation if there are uh, you know the regulatory aspects uh, aspects which are uh, which are there uh, for instance the the telecom blockchain that i'm talking to you about where uh, all the competing telco networks are part of the same uh, same blockchain network they have been able to come together because a they wanted to solve a business problem uh, but uh, that alone would have made them uh, would have made them to take a lot of time to come to to come to a consensus and to come to on the same network. But the fact that the regulator has mandated them to implement it, that kind of accelerated the decision, that kind of accelerated the process, and as a result of which all of them have come together to provide a unique service to the common man on the street wherein the common man is protected from the spam calls and the spam text. So wherever there is a regulator who is involved, for example, National Payments Corporation of India is semi-government, uh, is a quasi-government entity, and they have decided to implement blockchain. So all the affiliate banks will also adopt that blockchain because they see that as an initiative which is coming through the regulator. That's why in... Uh, public blockchains wherever there is an element of regulatory involvement whether it is mandated or not mandated we see a much faster adoption from a public blockchains perspective now coming to enterprise blockchain perspective every company is now realized that uh, they are not very proficient when it comes to digital transformation and thanks to the pandemic the pandemic has uh, reiterated this fact multiple times over to all the companies so now they're looking at the levers of that digital transformation and in that particular lever of digital transformation blockchain plays an important role in addition to cloud in addition to you know artificial intelligence in addition to robotic process automation and because they have realized that they are below the curve 
when it comes to digital transformation, they're looking at blockchain as a result of which the adoption has gone up significantly. No, that is impressive. And you, the point that you made about the regulators getting involved and mandating sort of, you know, to for everyone to come together, that is a really good way to go because then, you know, they, they are the binding, they are kind of glue and then everybody is on the platform. So that is very impressive. But now when it comes to government, are there any uh, processes that are getting on blockchain for the benefit of the citizens? Yeah, absolutely. Before I go there, I also wanted to give you an example of uh, what OCC, the Office of the Comptroller and Currency, did in the United States. They have come up with a mandate uh, that banks and thrifts can now use stable coins uh, for their own payment products and also for their own money remittances. Uh, the OCC felt that banks and thrifts will be left behind in the fintech revolution uh, because the fintechs, uh, uh, many, many fintech companies in the United States have access to the latest technology and they're not regulated, right? Uh, nobody, I mean, they don't have any deterrence when it comes to adoption of technology. So OCC realized that uh, because of the cumbersome regulatory aspects governing the banks and the thrifts, they felt that if they don't uh, liberalize the adoption of uh, blockchain technology, these banks and thrifts will be left behind. And they cannot afford for the banks, they cannot afford uh, wherein uh, they cannot afford a situation wherein the banks and thrifts will be left behind, right? Because they contribute to the economic development of the country and they provide banking services to a common man. So they have uh, they have taken a bold step, as I said before, and they are now allowing banks in US and the thrifts in US to use stable coins to come up with various service offerings. And that's an another bold move by regulator in United States to drive blockchain adoption. No, that, that is true. And I, I hear your point on that. Now, talking about cryptocurrency, uh, you said, you know, India, the vibrant community, you know, everybody's excited. And the coin also, you uh, mentioned Polygon, right? Polygon. Uh, yeah, yeah, Polygon you know doing really well and it's increasing in market capacity but when it comes to users uh, if we talk about uh, you are an expert you also have a background in cybersecurity, so you would understand this point that right. when you when you go to bank and you know if uh, uh, i'm not sure about the indian rules and regulations but if you have bank account and if your bank account gets hacked and you lose some money here at least in united states it is, you know, insured sort of, you know, by the government. So we, the people, the common man doesn't lose the money. But I'm is in India, I'm not sure what the rules are. But the point is that having money in the bank secured is one thing, but keeping money in the wallet in the form of cryptocurrency, it, it brings in all kinds of vulnerabilities. Now, the common man is not very much, you know, used to the cybersecurity fundamentals. They don't know how to take care of their lab uh, computer or they don't know how to, what to download, what not to download, what to click, what not to click. And also, you know, how to secure their wallets. They're not quite, you know, good at all those things. So how do you see this being a major concern for the adoption of cryptocurrencies, especially, you know, in countries like India, where this uh, knowledge of cybersecurity is not that prevalent. And even in the, even the people in the Western world, who are using, you know, these uh, computers and cybersecurity big 
little bit more than you know uh, countries like india they are also you know facing so many challenges when it comes to cybersecurity you know breaches and hacking going on so do you see that that is going to be a major concern especially for the cryptocurrency because blockchain is one thing you know having initiatives on blockchain is one thing but having money the, your life savings in crypto in the wallet where it could be taken away by anyone you know that is a whole another thing yeah you are absolutely right uh, jayshree uh, i see the challenges twofold one is in terms of understanding the crypto as a product per se not many people understand what is cryptocurrency and many yes. of them get into cryptocurrency because they've heard uh, a good friend or a good cousin saying that they have made a lots of money without getting into the details what we call as fomo the fear of missing out which is what is uh, motivating a lot of people to enter into this uh, new asset class if i may use uh, if i may refer crypto to that as a result of which a lot of people get into that they don't understand uh, how an exchange functions they don't even know that there are two kind of exchanges which is a decentralized exchange and a centralized exchange uh, you know centralized uh, exchange at least uh, the safe custody of the crypto assets are with the exchange and if you open up an account with a reliable account uh, with a reliable exchange uh, your uh, holdings and your cryptocurrencies are safely guarded uh, by them but you are absolutely right there is no regulation as such for example god forbid uh, if that particular uh, centralized exchange uh, gets uh, impacted and the cyber actors take over that centralized exchange and they steal all the cryptocurrencies today the regulation is silent in terms of what happens in such a scenario what happens to the end customers of that centralized exchange whether they get 10% of their holdings as uh, uh, as uh, as a mechanism to make good of their loss whether it is 10% 20% 30% the regulation is completely silent unlike in a bank scenario where the regulation says that your deposits are insured to a certain extent should the bank go down uh, so there is a lot of opportunities for improvement in that particular area so one is in terms of uh, the solid understanding of the product the solid understanding of that asset class and also solid understanding of the functionality of a centralized exchange now when it comes to the decentralized exchange uh, the responsibility to safeguard the holdings is with the holder because uh, there is no exchange involved in a decentralized exchange. You are storing all those crypto assets in your own wallets and you need to safeguard those particular wallets. That gives a perfect segue to the next uh, point that you raised in your question, which is in terms of cybersecurity and how to uh, safeguard your holdings and that's where again people have to understand it's as you know they have they need to be uh, they need to be very careful uh, they need to understand that there are different kind of wallets there is a cold wallet there is a hard wallet and they don't even understand what is a cold wallet and what is a hard wallet so that's where my book again comes to the yeah. rescue wherein we explain all these components in terms of what is a hot wallet, what is a cold wallet, what is a centralized exchange, what is a decentralized exchange. All those components are explained threadbare so that people not only understand their terminologies, not only understand those terminologies, but also become alert, become aware and become secure when it comes to dealing the transactions.
No, that is wonderful. I'm glad you, you know, uh, you thought of that. Now you talked about centralized exchanges and, you know, decentralized. I'm glad that you brought that point up because the whole idea of cryptocurrency, the reason why it came in existence is because they did not want the, their money to be controlled by the governments. They Sorry. did not, they did not want that. So anonymity is at the core of it. And now when we create a, centralized exchange and when i'm sure the digital id you know comes to play a role so there is nothing hidden it is just like you know instead of the paper money or instead of the digital rupee it is a digital cryptocurrency and uh, it's still tied it is still tied to the you know their user id and uh, face and all the de details that goes with the identity it is still part of that so centralized exchanges are not going to give what the users, the hardcore, you know, cryptocurrency users, right. what they want. They want to go for decentralized exchanges. So there are, you know, complex challenges here, you know, to balance all that, you know, what Absolutely. the users want and, you know, what the what the situation, you know, allows for the common man. But when it comes to centralized exchanges in India, especially, are they regulated by the government or are they, do they need to have a regulation or some permits, uh, anything like that? Yeah, good question. So when it uh, comes to the uh, centralized exchanges in India, uh, the regulation from the central bank is absent. So the central bank, the Reserve Bank of India is now working on a regulation in terms of uh, how they should uh, deal with it. There are many, many open items when it comes to regulation. I'll come to that in a bit. But when it uh, comes to the centralized exchanges per se, they're incorporated under the Companies Act. So at least there is a Companies Act regulation which is governing them. You cannot just set up a centralized exchange out of a blue uh, because uh, you know uh, what RPI or uh, what the other banks are saying or or rather the centralized exchanges are saying is hey I've been set up uh, under the Companies Act of India number one number two if you want to open an account with me give your uh, uh, you know KYC details so there are two components of KYC details. One is it give me your bank account details, link your bank account to your crypto account in my exchange and give your identity details. It could be, you know, social security number. It could be, you know, in India, it's called as the Aadhaar card, which is the national identity registry. So you give those particular details and you will be able to fund your account only through a genuine bank transfer. That means your bank account is linked to the crypto account. Now, if these uh, centralized exchanges are not registered, no bank will give them that banking facility. As a, Because of that, all the centralized exchanges are registered in India, at least under the Companies Act, as I have said before but they are not regulated under money licenses they are not regulated uh, as a banking entity they're not regulated as a non-banking entity because they the regulation surrounding cryptocurrencies is completely absent so that's an opportunity for improvement number one number two when it comes to the users now they have dealt in cryptocurrency. They have traded in cryptocurrency. They made a good amount of money. Now, if 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 is a good citizen, uh, that person wants to declare that uh, that uh, money that they have made by virtue of cryptocurrency dealings. The income tax 
filing rules are silent in terms of under which category that income should be disclosed under which category the taxation will be applied. So today people are treating it as money and uh, the responsible citizens who want to disclose those dealings, they're disclosing and applying whatever tax rates that they are entitled. So this is where the vacuum is being created. This is the lacunae when it comes to regulations, both from an exchange perspective and also from the user perspective. I see. I see. Now that takes us to another point that because the government has not been very clear about, you know, uh, all these different points that you raise. Do you see any possibility that the Indian government may come out with their own crypto, you know, in form of a rupee? Because, you know, many governments all over the world, they are, you know, thinking or preparing to come out with their national currency, you know, in a crypto form so that yeah. they can compete. And they, for United States or, you know, any other country you look at, they don't yeah. want to lose out to, you know, other cryptocurrencies because it's yeah. just, you know, since the beginning of, you know, the creation of money ages, ages ago, you know, it is always the ruling class versus, you know, yeah. the... Uh, user class and it, it it has always controlled the money, the supply, you know, of money, creation of money and supply of money has been controlled by the ruling class so far, you know, but now with the crypto, it has completely, you know, changed the fundamental, you know, uh, process and brought a new transformation. We don't know who the ruling class here is. We don't That's know for, you know, many of the cryptocurrencies, we don't know who are, who is behind them. So it is, it is going to fundamentally create a new ruling class. So the comp, the old ruling class, which is the governments, which is the banks, they are not going to sit quietly and, you know, just uh, let the other, you know, ruling class emerge and take them over. So the banks are going to fight back. The governments are going to fight back for their national currency. So how do you see this playing out in India? Yeah, absolutely. It kind of, uh, you know, uh, takes me back to the question that you asked and I missed answering that in terms of how are we seeing uh, governments adopting blockchain from a government to citizen services. So the first one, you're absolutely right from a central bank digital currency. Number of central banks are looking at it because they don't want to be left out of this transformation. And obviously they don't want to uh, they don't want to be in a scenario where uh, the power shifts from the central banks to the new set of uh, uh, companies who create these uh, cryptocurrencies and stuff like that, right? Which is the term that you use, new set of ruling classes. So we see a very renewed interest as far as central bank digital currency is concerned. Even in India, the Reserve Bank of India has been talking about uh, CBDC. Uh, uh, which is linked to for Indian national rupee. We have seen uh, we have seen this in uh, Cambodia. Uh, you know the the most famous uh, project called uh, Project Bekong, which resulted in launching uh, CBDC in Cambodia. We uh, we are hearing this in Tunisia. We are hearing this in Japan. We are hearing this in uh, various other countries. The Bank of England has called for a consultation paper with regards to CBDC, how the CBDC to be issued, whether it is a wholesale CBDC, whether it's a retail CBDC, whether it's a CBDC that involves the existing banking channel or keeps the existing banking channel outside the purview 
and the central bank goes directly to the users, which are basically the citizens at large. So we're seeing all those uh, interesting uh, conversations emerging. The Monetary Authority of Singapore is also actively considering CBDC from a Singapore perspective. Uh, so we're seeing uh, uh, good interest in this particular space and this space will emerge because governments, as you rightly said, they don't want to stay uh, out of this, uh, um, you know, out of this evolution and they want to control the function of money because it becomes important from a monetary policy perspective in their uh, respective countries. So those are the trends that we are, uh, we are seeing, Jeshri. Again, going back when I said CBDC, wholesale CBDC, retail CBDC, one may wonder what are these? That's where our book again comes to the rescue, where we explain what are these various components. Yes, no, very true, very true. So can you tell our global viewers and listeners where they can go and purchase your book and, you know, anything else you would like to share, especially to the young, brilliant minds that are out there all over the world about, you know, blockchain, uh, where they should focus and, you know, what they should be doing. Of course, you know, going, they need to start with your books to understand everything about the fundamentals, uh, understand the language before they go. But uh, what would you like to tell them? Yeah, absolutely. So for, with regards to the book, the book is available uh, in uh, US, UK, India on uh, Amazon Books. The soft copy of the book is available on Google Books all over the world. So for, depending upon uh, which one they prefer, whether they prefer Google Books, whether they prefer Amazon Books, there's a Kindle version of the book also available so they can uh, buy the book accordingly. Now coming to the young minds and in terms of uh, how they can leverage this technology, you know, I'm sure um, uh, uh, as part of uh, our childhood days, our respective childhood days, one day we have imagined in terms of or we created in, in our own fantasy world that we will change the world, right? Or we will come up with something which will, by virtue of which we are going to change the world. And blockchain, in fact, has given that empowerment people to change the world and blockchain whether it is uh, public blockchain or private blockchain whether it is cryptocurrency application of blockchain or non-cryptocurrency application of blockchain is very well poised to usher us into the next set of transformation next set of digital engagement the next the next set of business models that arise in the digital world Think, uh, look at NFT, the non-fungible token. Who has thought about non-fungible tokens? Who has thought about uh, monetizing your digital assets, whether it is digital painting, digital art, and then monetize those things and make money? And today in India, we have cricketers, we have uh, movie artists, we have Amitabh Bachans of the world, we have Salman Khans of the world, we have Sachin Tendulkar's of the world, MS Dhoni's of the world, who have already got onto this particular bandwagon, and NFT is already become a buzzword where uh, people are now trading in non-fungible uh, tokens. They're collecting non-fungible tokens. All of these things did not exist you know, uh, forget about five years. They did not exist even about a year ago. So these are the new set of things that are coming into the world. Uh, so a good analogy is uh, how Internet has spawned a new breed of entrepreneurs who have become billionaires today, whether it is Jeff Bezos, whether it is uh, Michael Dell, whether it is, uh, you know, Elon Musk. All of these guys 
have leveraged the new technology and created world-class enterprises, created wealth not only for them, also created wealth for others. And that opportunity is there with blockchain. So all the young minds who are listening to this particular interview, podcast, or whatever you call it as, there is an opportunity to leverage blockchain and create that uh, valuation and create that new business model and uh, you know you can go ahead and leverage it and uh, the world is an oyster yes absolutely find the new way of doing things you know you are absolutely right so the opportunities are amazing it is this is a fundamental fundamentally transformative technology so do your part everyone you know all across the world and create make a difference you know create a solution for where you know there is comp there are complex challenges uh, in your nation and you know come up with a good solution so thank you so much rajesh for participating in risk roundup today we appreciate your thoughtful insight into blockchain and i'm sure our global viewers and listeners would benefit tremendously from what you had to say today and as a result this risk roundup dialogue has been of service and we thank you for that again congratulations for your work Thank you thank so you, much. Thank you so much. Pleasure talking to you for, and uh, look forward to uh, further engagements. No, thank you so much. Likewise, and Risk Group is a strategic security risk research platform and community. And through the Risk Roundup initiative, Risk Group and I are on a mission to talk with the billion brilliant minds. The reason behind this effort is to research, review, rate, and report strategic security risk facing humanity. Thank you for being part of the conversation. Until next time, I'm Jayshree, host of Risk Roundup, signing off. See you next time. Thank you.